The title for this New Year's Eve sermon is The Christmas Word Prophecy. Biblical prophecy, put simply, is God moving his human writers to predict in Scripture certain things before they ever took place. And when you think about it, God has given us a lot of prophecies in the Bible. In fact, over 60% of the Bible was prophetic when it was first revealed to the human writers. There are many reasons why God bothered to predict things for us to read in his book before they actually took place. I want to share with you first three reasons that God bothered to predict things for us to read in his book. First, the prophecies already fulfilled build our confidence and our faith in God. If the truth be told, maybe you are here tonight really needing greater confidence in God. Maybe no one around you knows it, but you're here tonight and you're desperately in need of a greater faith in God. I'm glad you're here because the Lord is going to speak to you through his word in the next few minutes. The second reason I believe that God bothered to predict things for us to read in the Bible before they took place is that the prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled calm us down when we may fear the unknowns of the future. Maybe you're here tonight needing peace. You have all the anxiety and the fear you could possibly use, but you could really use peace. And maybe you're here tonight in search of peace. You're in the right place. Because God is going to grant peace to the person who believes what he has said in his word. And I'm glad you're here tonight because God is going to reassure you in his word so that you will have peace. A third reason that God bothers to tell us in his Bible things that have yet to come to pass is that these prophecies help us to see the big picture, help us to see the flow of human history on a macro big scale. It's easy for us to lose sight of the forest because of the trees, because life is so daily, isn't it? That we can lose sight of the forest because we are always seeing the trees. Unfulfilled prophecies in God's Bible, when we know them, can help us to see the big picture, the flow of human history that God is in control of. Maybe you're here tonight on the brink of a new year, because frankly, you watch the television and you go to the internet and you hear things and you see things and you for the life of you cannot figure out how God can be on his throne with these kinds of things happening. You look at the newspaper, whether it's the Nassau newspapers, the American newspapers, or any other newspaper in the world. And frankly, if you could be honest before God, you would say, God, are you really still in control? I'm glad you're here tonight, too. Because I believe you can leave as this service dismisses into a new year with a big picture and better with the bigger God who gives a big picture. 
this New Year's Eve, I want to focus our attention on a few prophecy predictions which God made about his coming Messiah, Jesus. And to be even more specific, tonight I want to look at God's prophecy predictions that have to do with the Messiah's birth or with the days that were shortly after the miracle of Jesus' birth. So let's get started. And at the outset, I'm sharing each of these prophecies with some goals in mind. I've been asking the Lord, the Holy Spirit, to do some things in my heart and in each of your hearts for for each of these prophecies I'm going to share with you, and it's this. I've asked God that we all would rejoice more in God's sovereignty, that we would rest more in God's promises, that we would love God more, that we would trust him more, and that we'd obey and serve him more than we have. So the first prophecy I want to take us to is in the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah is a major prophet because he was given a lot to write by God. He ministered to Judah. And in chapter 7, in verse 14, God moved Isaiah to write a messianic prophecy that had to do with Jesus' miraculous birth. And you probably know the verse, but it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin, the Hebrew is Alma, will be with a child and bear a son. And she will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So God makes the prophecy 700 years before Jesus' birth in Bethlehem and says a virgin, an Alma, is going to give birth to a son that should be called Emmanuel. The fulfillment, of course, of that rather staggering prophecy is in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, the angel continued, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. It's not a contradiction at all, but prophet Isaiah would say to name the baby Emmanuel, God with us, and the angel would say to Joseph, name the baby Jesus. It's not a conflict at all because you can't have a savior of the people except you have a God with us. And so the first prophecy that it's marvelous in its fulfillment is that a virgin, the Greek word is uh, parthenos, Hebrew alma, Greek parthenos means a medical virgin, would have a baby, a miraculous baby, the Messiah baby. Second prophecy I want to share with you tonight is that that woman's miraculous offspring would ultimately defeat Satan. That was predicted in Genesis 3. Genesis 3, verse 15. 
God speaking says to the serpent, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Will you notice that seed is singular and not plural? The prophecy is that Satan would be doing battle with the seed of Eve, which, whom we know now to be the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what did God say in this prophecy in Genesis 3.15 beyond the fact that Satan would be at odds with the seed of the woman Eve who was Christ? It says, he, Christ, shall bruise you on the head. I hate snakes. I've told you that before. I love to bruise them on the head. I'm sorry, snake lovers. When you bruise a snake on the head, you kill it. You destroy it. But God says to the serpent, Satan, you will bruise him on the heel. Ever had a bruised heel? Extremely painful. You have a bruised heel, you can't walk in a dress shoe, you can't walk in a sneaker, you can't walk in a slipper, you can't walk very easily in barefoot. It hurts. Have you ever stopped to think that crucifixion by suffocation, that's how you died by crucifixion, you suffocated. They build a bonfire at the base of your cross to hasten suffocation if they desired to do that. Or they broke the legs so you couldn't push up with your feet to catch a breath. To hasten suffocation, they broke legs. They didn't break Jesus' legs. But can you imagine being crucified and being trying to push up for air near the end of your life and your heel will be pressed against the downbeam repeatedly and be bruised? God predicts in Genesis 3.15, Christ, the seed of the woman, is going to defeat you, stomp you on your head, but you're going to bruise his heel in crucifixion. You're going to cause him great physical pain. I share that with you so that you'll rejoice in God's sovereignty, so you'll rest in his promises, so you'll love him more, trust him more, obey him more, and serve him more. Third prophecy I want to share with you. that the world would be blessed through Abraham's seed, descendants. The Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 12, an unconditional covenant. All of God's covenants with Israel, by the way, were unconditional except the Mosaic covenant, which was the law. All the other covenants of God were not to be predicated on anything that Israel did because God is a God of grace in the Old Testament as much as he's a God of grace in the New Testament. So one of the covenants, the first covenant that God made was with Abram, who later became Abraham. And this is what God promised. This is the covenant that God said, hold me to it. God said, hold me to it. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house. By the way, he was over 80 years old when he did that. Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. Imagine Sarah said, where are we going? Don't know. God will show us. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. And then God says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. It's called Israel. It's called the Jewish people. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. The, the Israelites were promised to be a blessing, and they have been. Think of all the medical advances through Jewish brilliant doctors, all the legal uh, sophistications by Jewish lawyers, all the discoveries, Einstein, all the rest. The Jewish people are gifted of God, and God has made them a blessing so that they would bless all the rest of us. 
you know, anti-Semitism is on the rise in Europe. One of ISIS' main ambitions is to annihilate the Jews, drive them into the Mediterranean Sea to make them extinct. God says, I'll make you a great nation, and I'll bless you, and I'll make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. That's in the book. May the Bahamas side with Israel. And I'll bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, Abram, in you, Abraham, in your seed, in your loins, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God was saying that in his humanity, the Messiah would be Jewish. That, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ's humanity. He's Jewish. It's curious to me that a lot of pictures have him blonde and looking Scandinavian. I don't think so. I'm sharing that prophecy with you because I want us all to rejoice more in God's sovereignty, to rest more in God's promises, to love God more, to trust him more, to obey him more, and to serve him more. So let's go to another prophecy. The Messiah would be from the line of Judah. Genesis 49, verse 10. Genesis 49, verse 10. A promise being made in Jacob's blessings to his sons near Jacob's death. God moved Jacob to say in verse 10, the scepter, that's what a king holds, shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. God predicted through Jacob's benedictory comments to his sons before Jacob died physically that Messiah, the anointed one, the Savior, the consolation of Israel would be in the line of Judah. There were 12 lines in the Israelite nation, Judah being one of the 12, and God predicted here that Messiah would be from Judah the tribe of Judah. Of course, he was. Hebrews 7, verse 14. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke nothing concerning priests. You see, all that Moses uh, prescribed in the Jewish system of priests, they came from Levi, and they came from Aaron. They didn't come from Judah, but Hebrews 7.14 says, For it is evident that our Lord, Jesus, was descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke nothing concerning the priests. And then if you took the time to look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, that's David's foster, or Jesus' foster father, Joseph's genealogy, you would see that Judah appears in Joseph's, the foster father of Jesus' genealogy. If you look at Luke Chapter 3 and verse 30 in particular, Judah is mentioned in the genealogical record of the family tree of Mary, the biological mother of the Savior. And so God predicted through Jacob on his deathbed that Judah would be the one with the scepter that would rule a descendant from Judah. And then it's pointed out that Jesus is from the tribe of Judah, although that was against the Aaronic and the Levitic priesthoods. And in the foster family line of Joseph, Judah's in there. 
and in the biological maternal line of Jesus, Judah's in there too. But that's not all. There's prophecy that the Messiah would be a descendant of King David in particular. A descendant of King David in particular, which brings us to 2 Samuel chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 7, 2 Samuel chapter 7. This is the Davidic covenant. We saw the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12, and now we see another covenant, another unconditional covenant that God struck, this time with David, King David. And in 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 to 16, this is what we read. And when your days are complete, you will lie down with your fathers. That's a euphemistic way of saying you're going to die. And I will raise up your descendant after you, that was Solomon, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish a throne of his kingdom forever. That is through his descendants. This kingdom would not uh, be given in any other line than David's. And I'll be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. And when he commits iniquity, and man did Solomon commit iniquity, God says, I will correct him with the rod of men and with the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness, it's based on God, my loving kindness shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul, that was the first king of Israel, whom I removed from before you. And your house, David's house, and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. That doesn't promise that there'll be no interruption in a king being from David's line. It says that your line, the line of David, will always have the right to be king. That's the Davidic covenant. And your house and your king shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. God goes on record, predicts in prophecy that the Messiah would be a descendant of King David. Boy, was he ever. Luke 1. Luke 1, verse 31 to 33. Luke 1, 31 to 33. Speaking to Mary. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. A thousand-year kingdom of Christ, which is coming, when that ends and we roll into the new heavens and the new earth, Jesus Christ will still be king forever and ever in eternity. Again, I'm going over these prophecies not to make us smarter, but to hopefully cause us to rejoice more in the sovereignty of God, to rest more in the promises of God, to love God more, to trust God more, to obey God more, and to serve God more. There's so much more. I'm going to pass over some prophecies to keep on schedule with the stroke of midnight. So really, we've seen just but a few of the Bible prophecies, predictions about Messiah's birth and about the days shortly after that birth. And completely and miraculously, these prophecies all came to pass. And so my question to myself in the pulpit and my question to all of you in the pews, do I rejoice better in God's sovereignty for knowing this? Will I rest better in God's promises for seeing this? Will I love God more knowing this? Will I trust him more understanding this? Will I obey him more because I've been shown this? Will I serve him better?
Seeing all this should encourage us in our living out of the days which the Lord may have for each of us left. Even if he spares us life for the next 20 minutes before the year rolls over, what should these things specifically encourage us to do? Well, let me start with first base. These things ought to encourage us to be genuinely saved if we're not saved. You may be here tonight because you're superstitious. And you've been taught by your family and your friends that 2017 is going to go a lot better for you if you are in a church building on New Year's Eve. That God will like you more if you're in a church building tonight, especially tonight. I'm here to tell you that this won't cause God to love you any more than he already does. I'm here to tell you that being made acceptable to God has nothing to do with superstitions. It has everything to do with the grace of God providing the Savior of God to cover the sins of man to be received by faith in the finished work of Christ. Have you done that? Have you reached out with the hand of faith? I'm not talking about joining a church. I'm not talking about baptism. I'm not talking about giving to the poor. Those are all good things. I'm talking about how do you get right with God? How do you get saved? By recognizing you're a sinner who can't save yourself? By recognizing that Jesus Christ is the only Savior God the Father will provide? By believing the Scriptures when they said he was crucified, bled, innocent blood to atone for sin and believe that God the Father raised him from the dead on the third day to evidence that the sin payment was satisfactory. And you tell God, I'm going to turn from myself, I'm going to turn from my sin, and I'm going to lean on the Savior fully. That's how you get saved. Are you saved? If you hear all this and sing all the songs, punch the clock in on New Year's Eve and punch the clock out at church on New Year's Eve, you're no further ahead. Jesus Christ must be your Savior. Is he? You could trust him right where you sit. You could tell him, I can't save myself and I'm a sinner. I thank you that you love me and Jesus died for me. I thank you that the grave couldn't hold Jesus. And right now, in the best way I know how, I transfer my trust to the finished work of Christ. Save me, God. Help me to turn from sin. Make me new. This is not a New Year's resolution, God. This is looking to you for salvation. If you prayed something like that, that's not a magic prayer, but if you prayed something like that, God heard you. And I welcome you to God's forever family. And if you don't have a Bible-believing church already, I welcome you to this church. And if you have a Bible-believing church but you've not been saved, go back to it. And tell the people there you trusted Jesus for salvation New Year's Eve. And so the first thing that this should do is for the person without Christ here tonight, they should get saved. The second thing is for believers in Jesus, for the saved, to rejoice. We should rejoice. Of all people, we should rejoice. God has got it. God has got it. Whatever your it is, God has got it. God has got human history. God has got your history. God has got your family. God has got your academic studies. God has got your illness. God has got your problem. God's got it. Rejoice. You know, the birds sing because they have no worries about tomorrow. That's why birds sing. God's people should sing. We should rejoice. We have no worries for tomorrow. We don't know what tomorrow will hold, but we know who holds tomorrow. 
And so let's make 2017 our best year yet for rejoicing, for keeping a list of what we're rejoicing about. If God doesn't come for us first and we don't get promoted by physical death before this time next year, I hope that we get together. And when I say, what are you rejoicing for? All of you will have a list and say, do you have 10 minutes? Let's make 2017 the best year possible in our rejoicing. How do you do that? You put things you're rejoicing in in your iPhone. You put things you're rejoicing in on a three-by-five recipe card. You take a, a, a legal pad, a spiral-bound pad, and you write down what you're rejoicing for all year. Then you ask somebody to coffee. Say, let me tell you what I'm rejoicing about. It's March 1st, but let me tell you what I'm rejoicing about since January 1st. Yeah, get saved, rejoice, rest, rest. God has never broken one promise to me. And if we went back to testimonies, nobody could stand up tonight and say, God, I broke a promise to me. Sometimes we take God's promises out of context. They weren't made to us. They were made maybe to Israel, and we claim it, and then we don't see it. But every promise in the book taken in context for the church, God delivers. So rest. He's never broken one promise to me, and he's not going to break any promise to me taken in its context in his word. And I'm not unique. I think of Psalm 46, 10, which in part says... Cease striving and know that I am God. The original context of the striving that was going on in Israel was where they were at war. And God says, quit striving at war and know that I'm the God of war. I'm going to look after you. Rest. War was the issue when the verse was first given. Cease striving and know that I am God. But what's the issue for you tonight? that you need to cease striving in, your marriage, your health, your next steps? What is the issue for you that you need to cease striving to know that God is the God of that? Your kids? Getting pregnant? Your finances? Your basic personal safety in Nassau? What is your thing? Israel's thing when God said, cease striving and know that I'm God, was war. What is our thing tonight that we should cease striving and know that God is God? And then another verse in part says, Psalm 127, verse 2. It says, he, God, gives to his beloved even in his sleep. I love that. God works the night shift. God works the night shift. When we lay our heads on the pillow tonight to fall asleep, to come to church tomorrow morning, God's still working. It was George MacDonald who said, maybe God gives to us in our sleep what we prevent him from giving to us in our awake. God works the night shift. Love. Love. Love more than you have. Your family, your mate, your children, people in this church family, your enemies. Love, more in 2017. Trust, 
Trust more in 2017. God has given more strength, more wisdom, more control, more faithfulness and love than any other person has. So what are the top three things that you're going to trust God for in 2017? Be specific. I once prayed a prayer when I was depressed, clinically depressed, and I prayed this prayer, and the pastor who was counseling me said, Rob, after I said amen, Rob, you'll never know if God answered that prayer. It's so vague. Don't make your prayers vague. Make them specific. Make them rifle shot specific prayers so you will know when God answered them. What are you going to trust him for in 2017? Three things. I challenge you to raise them in your mind. And then obey. God knows best. He tells us the good way, so take it. And let me ask you what I asked myself before I've dared to preach this. Let me ask you, do you owe God any obedience in 2016? God has moved you by his word. God has moved you by his spirit to a point, and you've said no. I'm not going to do it. Don't want to do it. Don't think I can do it. It's a risk to do it. Someone else can do it. Do you owe God any obedience in 2016? Pay your debt in 2017. Do what you know God's told you to do that you've refused to do. Maybe it's getting involved in a ministry here, Sunday school or mini church or ushering. or Maybe it's what you give to the Lord. He's told you what to give and you've said no. I don't know. If you owe God any obedience in 2016, pay what you owe God and obey in 2017. I need to stop there. Serve. This church should be like the space shuttle. All crew and no fans. We have a new Bible study starting tomorrow, adult Bible study called Not a Fan. It's challenging Christians to stop being a fan of Jesus. Oh, that's nice. But being involved in doing his will. Serving. Using your spiritual gift will help you find your spiritual gift if you have no clue what it is. This is what's on my heart tonight. I love you. I thank you for your love for me and my family. I believe in you, God in you. I believe in you. And I'm sanctified, proud of you. Whenever I get to say that I have the incredible, awesome privilege of being the senior pastor teacher of the Calvary Bible Church, I'm just so thankful to God and so grateful for each of you. I really am. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you've shown us. Lord, help us to rejoice in your sovereignty, to rest in your promises, to love you more, to obey you more, to trust you more, and to serve you more. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.